Ahsoka episode three movie delays and everything else you need to know about the universes you love right here on the direct podcast truth is I am a Jedi I'm the vengeance and I am Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in, welcome on, and welcome to another episode of The Direct Podcast, Season 2, Episode 49. That is a very high number. I'm your host, Matt Nurkby, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, friend, Coles fan, box office correspondent, and senior editor at The Direct.com, Mr. David Thompson. David, how we doing, man? How we living? I'm doing well. I'm living well. Uh, look, man, football is right around the corner. We were talking about it a little bit in the pregame. We are almost a week away from actual regular season NFL football, which I know we are both very excited about. But yeah, we're living in a good time right now. Um, Movie-wise, we're kind of eh, but having Ahsoka every Tuesday is a lot of fun. I enjoyed... This is not a review of the episode at all. I enjoyed how it was still there, right? This Tuesday evening... 9 p.m. I got to be like, all right, Tuesday night. I got a Soka to watch. I got hard knocks to watch. This is going to be a fun night. So I'm enjoying that. I hope Disney Plus sticks with it. We will see. But I'm living well. I'm happy I didn't have to wake up this morning and kind of while I'm drinking my coffee, watch a Disney Plus show, which sometimes is fun. Sometimes is definitely enjoyable. But I loved having the little conversation online right afterwards. I'm loving it. So I hope Disney Plus sticks with it. And I'm sure they're listening right now. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. David's loving it, guys. David is loving it. Do you know who originally sung that jingle in the late 90s? I have no idea. Mr. Justin Timberlake. Um, what? <laughs> yeah, Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. Oh, um, right. Yeah, no, Soka's awesome. I'm excited to talk about it a little later on. Um, for those who are new to the podcast and... Um, for those who are old to the podcast, quick note for you, if you're a longtime fan, subscribe over on Spotify. We need a little help over there. But for those who are new to the podcast, just a little heads up, I guess. Um, a reminder for some, a heads up for others. Me and David, we're big football fans. All right. You know, we're we're big sports fans overall. You'll find a lot of sports chatter at the very beginning of this podcast as me and David catch up after a week of not seeing each other. A great you know, example of that was the NBA playoffs. David, obviously a diehard Heat fan, and they had a pretty good season. They oh, did, Jesus. they did, they did all right. And, um, no, it was a good time. But uh, just, just know, me and David, both Colts fans, very rare Colts uh, fan friendship. David not being anywhere from Indiana. Um, it's true. <laughs> but um, you know, we're going to be chatting about the NFL very briefly uh, at the beginning of these episodes. We're going to try to find a movie comparison every week in the NFL. That's kind of the fun game we like to play. So just heads up on that. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about everything you need to know about the universes you love. And we're going to kick it to Mr. JJ. Let's get it. We're going to JJ. That's slander. It is not. I resent that. Slander is spoken. In print, it's libel. All right, David, you are going to kick us off today. Actually, you know what? Mine's going to be faster. Going to flip it. I'm going to go first. (laughs) I'm going to go first. Um, I'm bringing a piece of news in the injury report today. And on the injury report is one of the most anticipated movies of 2023. I drafted it in the hype draft. And unfortunately, I will not be getting that credit here in the Jordan year of movies because Dune Part 2 has officially been pushed to March 15th, 2024. This is nothing more and nothing less than because of the writers and actors strikes going on in Hollywood. They want to promote this movie properly. And uh, this is not the most accessible franchise to general audiences. So putting Zendaya and Timothy Chalamet and Josh Brolin and uh, Rebecca Austin Butler now and Austin Butler and all of these incredible names, putting those beautiful people in front of cameras talking about this movie is something that they do not want to give up. So they are moving it back to 2024. Pay your fucking writers. Pay your fucking actors. It's not that hard. I don't understand the idea of just deciding not to do anything as opposed to doing something. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about Dune 2 being pushed. Um, 
winners and losers for pushing Dune to David. Do you have any pros and cons? Any thoughts on this push? Um, yeah, I guess I'll take one. Obviously, losers are people who wanted to see Dune this year. Um, but I think winners might be Dune's box office hopes um, with a proper promotional role. Yeah, it's interesting. I would say two winners potentially could be just that Dune to making more money in March 2024. That is a interesting area. Currently, Snow White is going to release the following week, but that's probably going to get delayed. I think right now, if you look at a 2024 film release slate, it's not legit. It's not real. Like, even if it actually is reported, those are the supposed dates. Many, many dates are going to be moving because this move in many ways indicated that Warner Brothers, at least, is anticipating that this strike, this writers and actors strike, specifically the actors, is going to go into Mar- or sorry, going to go into November, maybe even December, maybe right. even 2024. And if that's the case, look out. We are going to get hit with a slew of delays similar to COVID, honestly, um, which is a crazy, crazy reality when if people got in a room and figured this out. This wouldn't have to happen. You know, this is not something out of our hands. I digress. I think the Marvels could benefit. I'm not sure if Marvel Studios is going to have the same interpretation as Warner Brothers or I guess have the same outlook in terms of what you just said, putting actors in the forefront, needing the actors in the forefront to make money. Do we all want that? Yes. Do we want Brie Larson on the red carpet? Do we want Amon Bellani? Tayona Paris, God, yes. like we <laughs> we really really do, but the issue now is I say issue, the opportunity now is Marvel could now slide up to November third of this year, which is a better date for them because then the following week, which right now what I guess yeah November tenth is where the Marvels is slated, there would be nothing coming out because the following week, November seventeenth, following along here is the Hunger Games prequel, which probably is not going to move. There is promotional, even though there's there's been promotional work coming out recently for Dune as well, so it's really tricky. Um, Warner Brothers, I think, has more on the line with Dune than Marvel does with the Marvels because the Marvel or Marvel Studios is such a juggernaut, whereas Warner Brothers had a shitty opportunity when it released Dune in 2021 in terms of COVID. And now, it's getting screwed and it's lowering its ceiling once again because of the actor strike. So I get the um, motivation for Warner Brothers to put out a Dune movie where there is no restrictions, right? There are no excuses. But for Marvel, they might say, hey, we can kind of wiggle our way through this. Maybe we don't have a red carpet, but build up a lot of hype and there could be even more space and more anticipation, maybe because less people will be going out to the movie theater because of a movie like Dune now leaving. So November is now a little less crowded, which could be a good thing for the Marvels. But I still wouldn't be shocked if the Marvels leaves 2023. Yeah, I think that obviously it's still on the table, which is the bummer of it, because I'm I'm not confident to say that it definitely won't leave 2023. But like I was saying earlier, Dune is a very heady, dense niche fandom um, that had a movie released in 2021 that didn't get as many eyes as people would have expected. Now, VOD streaming, it is gangbusters. Dune is very real and people love it, but it's not nearly as accessible to a general audience as the Marvels. So you need people to promote it. You need to get people excited about it in different and creative ways through promotion. Can't happen because of strike. The Marvels, again, Nothing would be better than that promotional run with those three interviews together. I really think it would be amazing. Yeah. And it would help the Brie Larson train a little bit, um, just putting her in a room with those two. Um, but it, it definitely doesn't need that. This is a billion-dollar franchise. You know, it's coming off of Billy. And it sucks that, uh, once again, you know, because of sexism, the Marvels might have another asterisk on its box office number or its, or its Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb number. Um, so that's a bummer, but, um, I think the Marvels out of the three remaining blockbusters, Hunger Games aside, because 
who cares? But um, <laughs> um, yeah. out of the three remaining blockbusters I anticipate for this year, I think the Marvels is the best chance to stay because it is a baked in audience that is going to they there are people who have been excited about the Marvels for years, um, you know, going on four years now. But I will say. There is nothing better than Brie Larson on a red carpet. She slays. She might be the best red carpet, you know, performer today. Like, I know everybody's going to pull one picture from one red carpet that many actresses and actors have, you know, just dominated in throughout the past couple of years. Brie Larson, yeah. when you look at Endgame, when you look at Fast and Furious, when you look at what she would have done for the Marvels, she owns red carpets. And um, I'm bummed that we might not be able to see her at one. Um, two other movies on my yeah. list. The Marvels, we've both thought... I think a good chance it stays, but it's not a non-zero chance um, that it doesn't. What about Flower Moon? Again, another very baked-in audience with the names on the poster. But um, do you think that... I don't even know what studio is doing that. Uh, it's Apple Studios, actually, I believe. Beautiful. Um, Beautiful thing. And did you hear the update on this? That's irony. Scorsese irony. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Scorsese was with Netflix uh, for his previous movie, The Irishman. Yeah, um, but the Marvel, working with Apple, but Marvel movies aren't cinema. You're on Netflix yeah. and Apple. <laughs> um, uh, it got pushed up, right? Yeah. So, well, it got quote unquote pushed back, but it got pushed to October 20th with a now wide release and playing right. in IMAX. So that's the other men. That was the other actually pivotal point to this where Marvel, regardless of the actor's availability, might stick with the Marvel's releasing at that time or scooch it up to November 3rd because Dune had signed an exclusive rights deal with imax for like a month run or something like that where on november 10th when dune was still there you could not go see the marvels in imax apparently right. reportedly which is crazy to me so now killers of the flower moon has moved to a wide release um so anyone can go see it in theaters it seems like october 20th and on imax screens for you know seemingly a couple of weeks mm -hmm. that's awesome yeah and the marvel's getting on imax also very cool um, but Flower Moon, because of the recent shift not being pushing it to next year, seems like it's going to stay the big yeah. one. The, uh, probably the biggest one on this list that is a question mark because it's a slow bleed. <laughs> it's a slow death <laughs> that we are experiencing. Aquaman 2, man, do you think it stays? Do you think it leaves? Um, what Would there be any advantage to delaying it? Like, I think it stays. Um, I think they are anticipating and Warner Brothers is still being hopeful that by then they could have Jason Momoa on the red carpet, you know, if you want to kind of put it that way and that the movie will be fully in the can wrapped by then. This movie has already been delayed several times. They've gone through reshoots. Um, like you said, it is a slow death. I do think they do value because of five years ago with Aquaman one that Christmas release date. So I do believe that I think it will stick. I think it's going to stick regardless of the strike. I, I, I think that'd be my prediction right now, especially because this was Warner Brothers moving things um, with Dune and they kept Wonka and they kept Aquaman 2 there for a reason. I think they want their Christmas movies to be released and they're not going to budge no matter what. That's how it looks right now. That could change. But that's what I'm anticipating. Yeah, it's going to be that we're on No Way Home Watch with Aquaman 2. No trailer. No trailer. That's trailer. that's the most bizarre part of this, right? Like Dune has had way, way vastly more promotional work than Aquaman 2. Aquaman 2 has had zero promotional work zero. at all. I, the post credit scene, The Flash, I guess, would be the one thing. Um, genuinely, from a studio's perspective, that is marketing for that film, quote unquote. So um, regardless, yeah, it's bizarre. And we might get it. We literally may not get a trailer for Aquaman 2 until two months out from the movie. Two and a half. Work, work for work. No Way Home. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. It, it did work for No Way Home. But I'm not sure some other version of Jason Momoa is going to be pop popping out of a portal. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, it's Cal Drogo. Just an Aquaman 2 for no reason. <laughs> um, um, my, hype, my hype draft score. What do we do? I, I, don't, I don't know if this is something we've experienced before, but... I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. I was on a fucking run. I, I know run. you're doing great, and, and not having that fourth leg. What, like, how do we? 
I mean, it's it's nullified a little bit. Do I, we I just don't... take averages? Like we were going to take averages anyway, but obviously, you know, yeah. mine's, mine's not going to have any variance. Anymore. Right. You'll, you'll like, definitely. I'm done. I'm done it, yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I think we figure that out when the time comes. I suppose at the end of 2023. But yeah, that does suck because now we could pick it again next year. Um, right. But it is that's what <laughs> oh, that's no, no, like. No. I I could pick it again next year. You can. Pick I can. Okay. Well, yeah, it's mine. I picked it. You own, take it you own the rights. You own the rights to do now. Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> well, I really <okay>. do. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Guardian Super Mario Brothers Oppenheimer. Man. Yeah. Love Probably it. my best trap. Probably uh, my best trap. And the fact that Dune, like Dune moving out, if then we just average those three, almost like. I'm going to crush. <laughs> I'm going to crush. <laughs> yeah, like you're doing great. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, David, you're up. You have peace news for us. Let's dive into the playbook. What do we got today? Yeah, this is, I would say, less breaking news, uh, a bit of a playbook, like you just mentioned, um, news update, and it's fascinating to me, and I think there's some connections I want to make here on the show that maybe people aren't seeing, but Marvel Studios is releasing an official timeline book. It's coming out, it's happening from cover to cover, it's going to start with the the dawn of man, essentially, the dawn of, not even before man, let's say, in the MCU, and then I think go all the way up until maybe the end of phase four, maybe even all the way up to some parts of phase five that we've seen so far. And they're going to essentially be picking apart the MCU. I mean, specific scenes that happen in order, right? Not even just movies. It's not going to be like, oh, this movie happened in that movie. It's going to be where different events within the MCU, some things that we haven't even seen yet, right, are going to be in the book, which is actually really fascinating. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of coverage from us at the direct um, on what's inside of this book. So check it out there if you don't want to necessarily buy a copy. Shout out Russ Milheim. I'm sure he'll be the one deep diving that. Yes, he is. He collects <laughs> all those books. I love it. He's I have a coffee table the, uh, book expert. <laughs> yeah, I got the Spider-Man No Way Home art book, which is mm-hmm. really cool. But that was more so because I'm a Spider-Man fan, not necessarily because like I collect them. I just, it's really, it's genuinely just cool to flip through. Um, Beyond that. So this is interesting to me because when I'm reading this and learning about this, to me, this is Marvel Studios retroactively explaining the timeline, right? Because the MCU timeline, outside of, I would say, Avengers Endgame, has typically been very ambiguous, right? It's never really been certain. There's been things that have been confirmed, and we're able to look at certain um, quotes or lists where we get that, you know, for example, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 takes place right after. And then there's this big time gap, um, not in real life, but in the actual canon timeline um, that we pretty much fully understand. So to me, this is going to be great for fans to kind of put things in context. But I do feel like the authors of the book went back and almost wrote a timeline. So what's interesting now, Matt, which I'm going to kind of swing to you a little bit here, is James Gunn. I just mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy. He's been involved in this, right? He's never been the one at Marvel Studios that's cared about that. He didn't care where where Volume Three took place in the timeline. That was not a note he was given. It didn't it didn't matter because he was telling his own story. But now he, as the DC Studios creative CEO, I would say Peter Safran is the business side. He is the creative side, and that's his sole job, which is such an amazing job to have. Um, he is now creating what seems like a we've got a brief little timeline of the DCU so far, just with Creatures Commandos. Going first, then Superman Legacy, you know, release order, which maybe it won't always be that. But he also confirmed that he's working on an in-depth world map, which sounds so cool, right? That he's trying to basically like lay out uh, where the cities are. And DC is so unique because it is very fictionally based in terms of its locations, which I think is more helpful. So my kind of question to you is two parts. One on the first bit, like, are you excited for the MCU timeline? Have you ever had a problem with the MCU timeline? Um, things like that has ever been like a, a concern, worry, frustration for you. I'm looking at you, Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, and then what do you think James Gunn can learn from his time at the MCU? And do you think that Gunn really needs to overly be overly, let's say, controlling in terms of a DC timeline or what does it really matter? Um, I I think that the MCU timeline book is going to be something really fun for fans. And I think that this is one of the things in the Infinity War in-game era that really grabbed so many people to the climax of the MCU. 
because like you said, yes, everything being connected was kind of the theme of the MCU. That's what it was known for. This person shows up in this movie. This person shows up in that show, all that stuff. But the actual connectivity of the characters overall, the Infinity Stones overall, you know, Endgame going back to different times to revisit historic MCU moments. That really didn't come about until halfway through phase three. And it's such a fun and amazing thing. The MCU has provided all of us nerds who not only love these movies, but we love the lore and the connectivity in the universe behind it. The bummer, um, because Twitter sucks um, and we're all addicted to it, is that a lot of people weaponize this very nerdy thing that is supposed to be nothing but fun. A lot of people weaponize and it was like, well, well, because this happened this time. What about this? You know, yeah. this this is bad now because of that. And I know, you know, during Secret Invasion, we were those guys, but that's different. Um, but it's <laughs> it's something I'm really excited for as a fan of the MCU and a nerd of the MCU, a student of this universe that I love. Um, and I I'm interested to see how impactful this is to certain things in certain scenes, but we won't know until it comes out. And I'm excited to see it. As far as gun goes, like you said, DC being so hyper fictional with Palmero city and star city and metropolis and Gotham, um, you know, it having a world map is going to be awesome. That's that game of Thrones shit that we all love. Yeah. Um, you know, how many people have game of Thrones maps, Westeros and Estros maps in their dorm room in college. Like that's, you know, people love that shit. And I think that's going to be really fun. I think Gunn's going to have fun with it. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to be a dictator in any way. And people act like Foggy's a dictator in these movies. And that's just not the case. He's just telling, you know, he's just trying to make the most engaging and exciting movie. Um, but no, I, I'm excited for the DCU map. I'm excited for the DCU timeline. It's just another nerdy thing that we can all nerd out about. And then as soon as we do. There's going to be a Snyder fan that comes out and weaponizes it and points out because this minute detail of a movie that came out in 2013, your entire universe sucks now. So go watch the same three movies over and over again, you fucking losers. Um, <laughs> no, I'm excited. The The coffee table books in general, Marvel has so many of them. Um, yes. Marvel Studios guidebook, the Shuri book, um, all the art books, all that stuff. A goal of mine. Once I um, have a home to house these things, I've lived in apartments and now temporary homes my entire life, um, is to collect all of them. I have the Marvel Studios one. I'm going to get the Black Panther one. I would love to have all the art books lined up. I think that would be really fun. Um, Will Aaron let me do that? Different question. That's that's the age old question. Yeah. It's not really up to me sometimes. (laughs) And I get that because, you know, quaintness is important for all the people. Um, that's what I got. That's what yeah. you got. That's what we got, ladies and gentlemen. That's been everything you need to know about the universe as you love. But right now, let's dive into Ahsoka, episode three. The Force? Now, the Force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in, welcome on, and welcome to Ahsoka, episode Three, David, me and you, we might just be on a roll. We might yeah. just be on a roll. <laughs> Record hits. We start the segment. No fluff, no buff, no coconuts. Whatever the hell that means. We are here. I'm here. David's here. And we are joined for the second week in a row. No long introduction at this point. You know what I mean? We're baked in. We're settled. You know, you're comfy. Um, ladies and gentlemen, our Star Wars correspondent, Jack Hughes. Jack, how are we doing down in Duval? Doing good. Uh, everything's okay i feel bad for like the rest of florida right now there's a hurricane going on. i forget what the name of the hurricane is actually um is but it's just <laughs> i i think it's i idalia idalia yeah not a name made up word. <laughs> yeah i, I had <laughs> never heard that word before that but um so yeah, it's just overcast right now uh kind of in like a harry potter or just like i want to cuddle up on the couch and watch a movie type of mood uh but instead i watched ahsoka uh this morning so again Oh yeah, I gotta watch it twice. I, I do the Liam Crowley, watch it as a fan, and then watch it as a critic. <laughs> love it. You love to see it. Um, I have not done the Ahsoka at six p.m. thing yet. Uh, well, nine p.m., six p.m. for me. Sure. I haven't done it yet. Uh, we oh, were really? on date night last night. I got my screeners the previous week, so I'd already right. seen them. 
Right. Still on that morning coffee Ahsoka grind. It's very exciting. <laughs> maybe next week. Um, yeah, maybe next week. Hopefully. Lord willing and the creek don't rise. You know what I mean? We are here. Ahsoka episode three. Time to fly. Um, My favorite Ario Speedwagon song. For sure. I uh, once sang that song at an audition and got the lead role in a play. So shout oh. out Ario. Shout out time for me to fly. Um, starting lineup for Ahsoka episode three, Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano, Natasha Liu Bordizo as Sabine Wren, Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Captain Harrison Dula, uh, Ray Stevenson as Balin Skull, Yvonne Sakno as Sheen Hati, and Diana Lee Insanado as Morgan Elspeth, directed by um, Steph Green. Was her name? Yes. Steph Green? Not Seth Green, like I thought it was when it popped up on my screen, which would That's have been funny. fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> um, directed by Steph Green, and of course, written by the Godfather himself, Dave Filoni. Pre-game thoughts. We're going to dive right into it, but first, a coin toss. We will flip a coin to decide between me and David who's going to go first. Jack has decided to opt out this week, so David, call it up. Heads. Heads. Tails, I will be going first. How? All right, boys. That's that's rare. I would say won't, won't get it in a draft. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> no, no, you will not. <laughs> Overall pregame thoughts for Ahsoka episode three. Spoiler free. Um, this episode was awesome. This is uh, the episode. I feel like it was quick. Thirty eight minutes. Um, we're coming off the, you know, basically short movie of last week, having episode one and two back to back. So this was going to be the first pace check for Ahsoka and everybody and making sure that we can kind of keep this week to week hype out coming off the debut. And they just did all the things that really push my buttons as a star Wars fan. The music hit the, the sound effects for the ships, the lightsabers, the lasers, you know, all the things that we are trained, uh, very star Wars coded stuff, reflector shields and, you know, upcoming spacecraft. What is it? Unidentified, but it's big. Um, you know, the the droid play throughout the whole thing, the cockpit stuff. It's a very it's very pilot heavy episode, 90 percent in cockpits and different ships and stuff like that. Um, the training sequences, the everything that, you know, is very Star Wars heavy was present here and it just kept the good vibes going. You know, I know that's not a very intelligent review of Ahsoka episode three, but damn it all if it's not true. And I think that there's just. There's something in Star Wars right now, despite a few hiccups along the way that me personally haven't enjoyed, Obi-Wan, Mando 3, Boba Fett, stuff like that. Um, They're doing the Marvel thing where the next project comes out, kind of raises all boats. And it's a, it's an exciting time to really kind of see it all starting to take shape and seeing this sector of the star Wars timeline really start to blow up in a way that I'm super excited to talk about for years on. it. Um, and, uh, Ahsoka, one of the best vehicles you can think of for something like that. And I'm really excited about episode three, David, your overall pregame thoughts on episode three. Yeah. Jumping off that. I am really excited about episode four as well coming out because for this, for me, this episode really was just that like it primed me up for the rest of the season even more than i would say episode two did did i was more excited for what they gave me last week than the future coming out of the premiere in this case i loved what they gave me i thought this episode was concise to the point gave us just a sprinkling just a dash of all these rebels um easter eggs and inclusions and references which I loved. Look, I think it is vital to have seen Rebels to fully enjoy this show. To reach the ceiling of enjoyment for Ahsoka, you have to have seen Rebels, which has its pros and cons. Us three, me especially, fresh off watching Rebels for the very first time, this is an amazing journey. It feels like I'm just continuing that story, which is really cool. I think there was more of a well-spread-out um, inclusion of characters in this one and made me enjoy some of those relationships a bit more that I'll dive into that in more of the spoilers part. But I like, like we just talked about a little bit, this episode was concise. I think that we each scene meant something and had something to tell, even if it was just action. But there are a couple of scenes that are my favorite, I would say, of this series so far. 
And it is interesting because I felt like watching 90 minutes of Ahsoka last week kind of set up for that slower pace. But this episode proved to me they can work quicker. And on a rewatch of this, wow, I would be clicking play on episode four so quickly after that episode because it really does leave you off with that moment of I need to know what happens next. And if I may make a sports comparison, you know, it really felt like last week we did the script. And we got out there, first 20 plays, we knew we were going to run and everything worked. We we matriculated the ball down the field and got yeah. into the end zone, um, you know, based on our practice plays. This felt a little bit more like a two-minute drill heading into halftime where, you know, you got to go no huddle. You got to get down the field quicker and, you know, make a few more pop plays, but also know that if it's not available downfield, the check down's there for the more intimate moments. The check down's there for a couple character development scenes within a bunch of high paced stuff. So um, I think that it, I, I think that's a really good point that it showed it can do both right. um, this week after last week, the prime concern for a lot of people was the pacing ramped it up in a really cool way this week, Jack pregame overall thoughts. God damn. I love a Matt Remke fandom to sports comparison. It's, <laughs> it's, it's just too good. Um, I agree with a lot of what you guys have said. This might be the most animated feeling Star Wars live action episode we've gotten. Hell yeah. So far. I mean, the action, character dynamics, humor, gaining a deeper understanding of the force. It's all plucked right out of animated Star Wars. Like I was shocked. I mean, I knew going into it wasn't directed by Dave Filoni, but I'm shocked it wasn't directed by Dave Filoni because man, it feels like it. And shout out Steph Green for that because it's incredible. Um, there are so many ties and connections to Rebels that had me cheering crying on the edge of my seat they continue to do a wonderful job in balancing the world building and or plot with character development it's exactly what you just said matt and david um and the way they communicate certain pieces of information or exposition is also well balanced for both rebels fans and non-rebels fans and what i'll say is like no if if you haven't watched rebels you won't understand all the deep cuts specifically the emotional deep cuts but in terms of what's going on it's not far-fetched like you kind of you you get it like they they explain things in certain moments but it's not heavy exposition to where i think you can still follow along in 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 the sense of plot um this chapter had a little bit of everything i liked it a lot nothing outright bad in my opinion but i did feel like it was half an episode and Mm -hmm. i continue to have complaints Mm -hmm. about how disney plus structures their shows in terms of episode count the length of an episode and how those two things contrast with what's needed to tell the story at hand. So yeah. I'll just leave it at that for now until we get into spoilers. Mm. And how many times did we talk about that during Mando 3 where it felt like mm-hmm. this section of this episode would have been better off at the end of this short episode and yep. it would have enhanced the experience of both and kind of the puzzle the puzzle making of it all. And you know it's it's throwing a screen on third and ten as opposed to taking a shot downfield. Like it, it really is just picking their spots seems to be a little rougher than Game of Thrones. Like, like I know it's so stupid <laughs> to be like, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, uh, uh, fortune cookie. I enjoy it, but it's not chocolate cake, so it sucks. Like, that, that's a bummer way to look at it. But, you know, us being fans of television, those are the things that I think stick out a little bit. And that's the downside to all the animated stuff is that some episodes are just half a story. And that sucks sometimes, but me and David, we were able to bid right through it, not care about that <laughs> in the slightest. So right. we're getting our first taste of it, I think, in a real way this week. Um, all right, those are our pregame thoughts, and let's dive to Michael Keaton with spoilers. Now you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. All right, we're gonna kick it off. Winners and losers. What do we love about the episode? What do we think was missing from Ahsoka episode three? Time to fly i'm gonna go first this is weird i hate pitching to myself we can't do this anymore if i'm gonna host i shouldn't go first that's something i'm deciding right here right now um (laughs) my biggest my biggest winner is much more holistic it doesn't really focus on any one thing in this episode it's more star wars universe driven if you can believe it um i think the biggest winner winner right now is the mandoverse vision you know just kind of the heading the end game that we have as we barrel toward Star Wars Avengers and what we expect this Mandoverse movie to be. Um, I think that it is so cool to, I think, for one of the first times in a while, 
to see the fruits of the Star Wars Disney Plus era start to really, you know, make itself known in this episode. There are so many moments throughout episode three, even despite it being 30 minutes long. There are so many moments where I thought to myself, man, this is so much cooler because of this show. Or, man, this is so much cooler because they did this thing. And, you know, just some examples of it. The Inquisitor we have here, Modok, Morok. Morok. It's Modok, though, right? Like, <laughs> we we can just say, say Modok. No one's going to correct us. Look, you know, no I think listen. someone would. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be a, a dick. An Avenger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bad movie. Um, Morok. You know, he's the he's the internet darling right now. Who the hell's behind the mask? You know, the Mephisto 2.0. Just having him in these scenes looking the way he does with the very Knights of Ren coated armor and the Inquisitor lightsaber and all those things. Had they not done the deep dive in Obi-Wan, I don't think I would appreciate it as much as I have. But because Obi-Wan did the Inquisitor thing, man, he's awesome for me. Um, the politics of it all. Seeing our girl back in action in a hologram. In this one, I mean, I, I teared up. I'm not going to lie. But, you know, the, the politics of everything on both sides, rebels and otherwise, um, Andor, you know, if, if Andor hadn't done what it did, we wouldn't have. I don't I don't think we would have been as excited about that stuff. Mando three has got two of them. The ignorance of the new republic and this whole, oh, it's fine. Outliers, a few bad apples. Did it just get real? <laughs> I think it just might have. Um, no, but, you know. The ignorance of the New Republic had Mando 3 not addressed that. I don't think it would have hit this hard in this episode. Also, what it means to be a Mandalorian, the theme of Mando 3. Now, that is very easily transitioning into what it means to be a Jedi. For the first time in a long time, we are exploring that. And the fact that it's Sabine, who is a Mandalorian, and we all know what that means because of Mando 3. Basically, the vision is coming together. I'm excited to see these threads start to interconnect, not in like a literal way, like, hey, do you remember when this happened to Boba Fett? You know, but more so just thematically, you know, the themes of all these different shows are starting to pop off here in Ahsoka. And it's really exciting that the vision, a lot of shows that I maybe didn't love, Obi-Wan, Boba Fett, Mando 3, starting to rise up a little bit because we're starting to see the fruits of those seeds in a way that I didn't expect. So that's a really long roundabout way to say that. I think the Mandoverse, we got to come up with a better name, but I think it's one of the biggest winners coming off Ahsoka episode three. And that's a huge winner, honestly. If Ahsoka, if Ahsoka can enhance the Mandoverse by the end of this, like by by a hundred percent with everything they're gonna set up with Thrawn as well, which seems like to be where we're heading, that I think is a huge win. For me, um, I'm gonna shrink things down a little bit, get a little more intimate with like this episode. And it is Ahsoka being a master and a trainer. To me, um, this is something brand new where she's always been the Padawan and then kind of the gray Jedi who left the order and did her own thing and kind of almost taught herself in a sense. Like, it, at least that's how it comes across. Um, so for me, her, I, I have more thoughts later on the full relationship and Sabine of it all. But a winner to me is just seeing Ahsoka being a master and specifically honing in on that scene where she, you know, blinds Sabine with the mask and she's like jumping around. It honest to God felt very Yoda and Luke. The whole like she knows everything. She's super calm. There's that awesome. I'm such a sucker for that little trick they do in Hollywood. She's she's standing over here. Uh Oh, she's over here now. And I just love that little moment. And Sabine trying and struggling and just not that. Ahsoka was trying to embarrass her, but just to show her how you can, quote unquote, reach out or see without your eyes, things like that. So I just really enjoyed seeing Ahsoka in this role for the proper first time. I think before now in episodes one and two, it was just alluded to how she was training Sabine. In this episode, we finally got to see it and believe it and really feel it and see how Ahsoka is as a master, as we saw Kanan do with Ezra different different universe or not different universe but diff whole whole different story i would say whole different relationship whole different relationship with anakin and herself whole different timeline but it's just cool to see and it's building out her lore like when this is the ahsoka show this is not called rebel season five that's the kind of stuff i like to see jack excited to hear what your big winner is 
damn it, guys. So <laughs> I'll, we'll be straight we up with you. <laughs> I wanted to go last year because I was like, I don't know where I'm going to go with my winners just yet. And then Matt starts talking. I'm like, you know what? I figured it out. I, you know, I have two things written down. I'm going to go with this one. <laughs> and then he started, he kept talking. I was like, okay, he kind of took it. And then David starts talking. And I'm like, God damn it. He kind of took it. So my, I think the one I, w- I was really leaning to though was the Ahsoka and Sabine relationship and where Ahsoka is at in her journey. And, and how that manifests when she's talking to Sabine about being a Jedi and, and about the Force. And and Matt, I'm going to say the word. You're going to hate it. You're going to hate it. Midichlorians. Yeah. They're a thing. They're yeah. real. They're canon. <laughs> um, and I love the line when she says to her that talent is a major factor for choosing a Jedi, like choosing to train a Jedi and whatnot. But her approach is so wildly different. And it makes sense from for, considering her journey from she was a Jedi. She was a Padawan. She watched the Jedi fail. She straight up says it in this episode. So what she's doing is taking an untalented, for lack of a better word, candidate in Sabine and leaning on training and discipline to nurture her weak and small bond or midichlorian count uh, with the force. And she's watering those seeds inside of Sabine. And she doesn't she doesn't have a ton of connection but you know one seed can still grow into something and i I think it's fascinating fascinating when you parallel that with like who ahsoka has been throughout these different eras and in different shows and think about it in terms of grogu if we think back to that episode in mando season two she saw grogu's talent and power and refused to train him and she was too worried about his attachment to din and maybe part of the reason she has a motivation to train Sabine instead, both in the past and presently, is because she doesn't have a natural talent for the Force. So in a way, she maybe feels like she can control it and it doesn't pose as much of a threat. I just, that goes to Matt's point of the connections between these different shows and, and these different seasons of you're seeing it all kind of come to fruition and you're thinking about those ties and connection now. So I, I don't have another winner besides that, but I just wanted to point out those few things because they're the things that stood out to me the most. I've got to jump in here because it's funny you brought this up, Jack, because I literally had written down, ask Jack about this. Because when I'm watching last night and we get the whole line that talent is a factor. And to me, that is a one to one 2023 version of saying Metachlorian count is a factor like that is legitimately what they are getting at. That's that's at least how I took it. And I think you laid it out very well. I guess my only issue, and I think people may have issues with this as well and agree with me, we've never seen this before. We have never, ever, ever seen a character like Sabine who is basically not force sensitive, right? Like we could compare her to, she probably has the same force sensitivity as a Han Solo, let's say, right? But Han Solo was never trained in it, right? He was never like sought out. And that's fine. That makes sense for that story. So I question it's not a Jedi thing because Ahsoka is not a Jedi necessarily. And she even says that, right? It's like, I don't need you to be a Jedi. So I am just, I just question where they're going with it, I guess is my point. Because it kind of, I think when you do this, it now opens it up for it's like, Anyone can wear the mask. Anyone can hold a lightsaber. Anyone can be a Jedi. And or anyone can anyone can pu- it almost feels like we're trying to pull the force out of her. Like we're forcing the force out of Sabine, which is a very, very interesting way. I mean, we literally see her trying to force the force out of her hand to pull that cup forward. And I was watching just like this is a bold move. Beyond anything else, I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. This is a bold move by Star Wars as a whole. I have a question on the critique of we've never seen that before. I, I You get that a lot. You get that a lot in these dense, high volume fandoms that we all care way too much about. There's a lot of people who, when something new is introduced, you know, oh, we've never seen that before. So it must suck or it must not work. Why? Why? Because this is the first time we're seeing a non-force sensitive person be trained as a Jedi. Why is that a bad thing? Why is that? Why is that inherently taboo? Um, because and again, this is you know, if you've watched Rebels, we know Sabine's connection to Jedi. 
You know, like no one, no one is more connected to Ezra Bridger than Sabine. You know, she has spent all this time with Ahsoka and Kanan and all these different people. And also she is deep rooted into Mando slash Jedi roots, you know, with the dark saber and the, uh, Visla clan. Mm-hmm. I know she's in the ring clan, but you know, like yeah, her, yeah, family, yeah. her heritage is very much, you know, that Paz Vizsla thing where it's like Absolutely. Jedi plus Mandalorian watch the fuck out. And I, I understand that it's a bold move. I agree. It's a hyper bold move, but I don't understand. And, and I'm not saying David, you said this, but there are people who are like, well, that's never happened before. So it's not good. I don't understand that critique. So binary because a Mandalorian, David, if I may, this is a this is a player in Sabine Wren who has all these incredible physical traits, her Mandalorian training, her sword skills, her war skills, her ability to engineer on the fly, all the physical raw traits that you need. And Ahsoka yeah. is trying to add as much of that mental game so she can understand the field a little better as she can to take advantage of those raw physical strengths. Does that remind you of anybody, you know, raw, hyper talented, just needs a little bit of mental game to add in. Ladies and gentlemen, Sabine Wren is Anthony Richardson of your (laughs) Indianapolis Colts. (laughs) And I don't think that's that that's far off. I I like the idea of, you know, her physical talents are what has allowed Ahsoka to want to give her enough force stuff to, be a major asset in this upcoming war. Before we get to Jack, does that make uh, Jonathan Taylor Thrawn? I don't know what that makes anybody anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> Jonathan Taylor's chopper at this point, irrelevant. All right, Jack, let's get back. Let's get back to you. Uh, as long as he's not a war criminal. Um, Damn. <laughs> I, I will, look, chopper is a war criminal. Dude just murders people straight you up. Can't be put that on real people though, Jack. That's a cartoon robot. <laughs> I said, as long as Jonathan Taylor becomes a horror girl, then we're okay. <laughs> as long as he does it. I don't know if I said does it. Anyway, Matt, I'm going to say another word that you're going to love this time. You're going to love this word. WandaVision. Let's go. The way I'm seeing it, the Mind Stone amplified what otherwise would have died on the vine. Oh. And I think Ahsoka is trying to, whatever it is, what, you know, it could be the mental game. I mean, she so, clearly saw something in Sabine. We don't know what went down when she met back up with the ghost crew. And, and I mean, her and Sabine like barely had any interaction. I, I, they might not have had any in, in Rebels. Yeah. So like she had to have seen something. Maybe it was the Mandalorian thing. It was the discipline. It was the training that she had some connection to the Darksaber, to the Jedi connection with Ezra. And she went from there. And I think she is trying to be what the Mind Stone was for Wanda in the sense of like, I, I am just trying to nurture this thing as much as I can to let it become something that Star Wars fans, and I'm sure even in the Star Wars universe, they've never seen before. I mean, this, this isn't just a first for fans. I think it might be a first for that universe. And I don't know. And this is another question. I don't know if it will manifest at all. I don't feel like Sabine will be force pulling a cup towards her at some point, but I do think we will see some sense. I don't know how they'll visualize it, but I think she's going to have some connection at some point where the the force is just going to like awaken within her for for lack of a better phrase. See, that's the thing. But I, but I don't think she'll then start like force pulling stuff and force levitating. I don't think it will ever become that. I but just enough to get because Ahsoka says it she doesn't need her to become a Jedi she needs her to be to be herself right and so I think she's just trying to tap into whatever connection she does have into the force to then just become something greater it is setting up though I will say for the cup to move eventually I know that's what I'm nervous about like that's that's what it's totally I feel like setting up for all of a sudden Sabine's gonna be able to like tap into whatever talent quote unquote that she has and I just I'm curious how they're going to portray that, because in a way, I really just hope that she's never really force sensitive in that sense. Like she, like you were just saying, like, I really never hope Sabine is doing like what Ezra Bridger can do, you know, like and all of a sudden she meets back up with Ezra and she's like, I can do what you can do now. Right. It's like, how the hell did that happen? Right. I feel like yeah. she still should be inherently Sabine. She should be essentially a Mandalorian with some wisdom and with a green lightsaber 
Um, so I don't know how they handle it, but it's very interesting. I think what they're like seemingly setting up that cup scene was a setup like through and through. I think that there are three examples I can think of off the top of my head that showed people who were iffy on their force use or or just unknowing like the audience doesn't know how force sensitive they are or not that shows just a little touch of it and they're all hype as hell when uh when Ray gets the lightsaber past Kylo oh. and it gets to her and it lights up in the snow I mean money on, money moment movie. when the kid picks up the broom just such a great little touch yes and when Cap gets Thor's hammer like how hype was that you yeah. know what I mean it was questionable we didn't really know there were rumors but right. when it happened, it felt earned because Cap is that dude. You know what I mean? And I think that I think I agree with you. She doesn't need to be like doing the Jedi mind trick or having um oh god um Calcastus. What is it? Uh, Echo Force Echo. Oh Force yeah, the Force Echo. Echo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She doesn't need to be doing the advanced stuff. But a Mandalorian with a lightsaber being able to do the combat Force stuff in that like she knows that something's co- the Spidey sense. Of it all. Yes. It's deadly. And it's something that is so taboo. We learned throughout Mandalorian. Jedi Mandalorian. They don't cross paths. Not, you know, water and oil. And you can't be both because you have to start training for both of them at a young age. So no Jedi has attempted to train a Mandalorian. And no Mandalorian has attempted to train a Jedi. Who better than Ahsoka to take that risk finally? Because she doesn't give a fuck about rules. You know what I mean? And I think that, I don't know, I'm just, I'm hyped for the Mando Jedi of it all. And the fact that it's Sabine, this character we love personality wise so much for her to be building her lore. I I, I don't think she needs to be knocked because she doesn't have a background of the force. We're seeing it. We're seeing it develop. I think for me, real quick, for those who haven't seen Rebels, if you want to see the beginning of Sabine's journey with all this, go watch Trials of the Darksaber, season three, episode 15, I believe. What Darksaber? Incredible. Ooh. Yeah, God, I forgot about that. Um, but another thing, guys, I'm and this could uh, kind of transition to loser. It's not my loser, but um, I'm a little concerned that we won't see any flashbacks to Ahsoka and Sabine's previous go at this, mm-hmm. you know, master and apprentice stuff. I really wanted to see that because, again, I mentioned it earlier. We don't know how that all went down with Ahsoka coming out of Rebels and then what's going on during the time of the original trilogy. We know that they trained a little bit, but we don't we don't know specifics. And I think it is important for us to see what Ahsoka saw and why she wanted to take this on. And I think that could even, that, that would 100% add and enhance to this background that we're seeing of Sabine, like setting up her potential to be a Jedi, have some sort of force wielding power, whatever it may be. So, All-time cold open opportunity there. Right. You know what I mean? So I thought this episode was going to do it, honestly, but mm-hmm. uh, maybe they're saving it. I hope they are. We got time. It gives uh, vibes of like Kate Bishop in New York or the uh, Anakin Obi Wan training scene that mm-hmm. we saw in Obi Wan. Um, David, was that your quote unquote loser, the Ahsoka Sabine thing? Yeah, I would say so. I, I was going to okay. bring it up then. So I, I, I guess I really, I really enjoyed this episode though. So other than that, it would have just been like the time of it all. Like I felt like I was excited for next. I'm excited for next week, but it's kind of what Jack already brought up. The episode feels slightly incomplete. Right. And and that's not even like a, a criticism that you've put on it. It's more of just you, you put it so well. It's a bold move and it's something yeah. that could go very wrong or like we've seen in Mando 3 could go. Uh, sorry, could go very right. Or like we saw in Mando 3 could go very wrong. There, there is a chance at the end of the series we look back and it is a loser. Right. right. I look back at this episode right. and that was a losing moment. So, yeah. Put it in tickler file. Jack, let's me and you quick hit our losers here because we spent so much time on that incredible talking point by Mr. David Thompson. Mine's the costume department. Again, I just wish that we had that and or level high quality costuming. I think that or or even uh, Mando three. Dude, Carl Weathers had robots carrying his cape. Give me that shit. Like, like, give me some detail here. I feel like this is all very party city Star Wars. Uh, throughout, other than Paris and Dula, because she's the city Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I had to let that one marinate a little bit, but I think you're right. I actually agree. Um, th- I don't, I don't even know what it is. It it may just be like how they rough things up in Andor, but yeah, like there is a stark difference between just the Andor 
costume even i mean production of course but really the costume aspect of it all and this it it, it almost there are just times when it feels fan filming and and mm-hmm. i hate that feeling because it's like it's a disney plus it's star wars man i don't want fan film a spoke a, a spoka uh you know what i mean <laughs> you know if you want to go chill at a bar and have a whiskey go to a spoka um ahsoka's <laughs> space suit stood out like a fucking yes. ladder yes. for me it was just it was unbelievable how low quality that felt compared mm. to some of the stuff that we've seen in the past in the uh, uh tony gilroy side of things mm-hmm. that was some clone war shit <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, that did not I translate. Mean, it was awesome. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like in terms of like the suit, it's like, yeah. I mean, she did something similar, but she had like a whole ass helmet over her leku and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, it that would have looked looked worse. Um, Jack, do you have a quick hit loser here? I do. And I mentioned it with the general thoughts. Episodes one and two felt like pieces of a story. I mean, this whole show is good. Each episode is going to feel like a piece of a story. Uh, I mean, they're called chapters for a reason. There's that's, one that's only television, Jack. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> but at the same time, they still had a beginning, middle, and an end. Whereas to me, episode three, it felt like it was a forced ending. Um, and this wouldn't be a complaint at all if they released episode four along with it. And I'm not saying they had to do that. I could watch episode four next week and be like, nope, that would have been a horrible decision. Let episode four marinate. Like, no way. Um, but I just wish Disney Plus would break out of this mold of having a specific episode order and fitting the story around that or feeling like they can only drop two or three episodes with the premiere. And, and, and then after that, they have to go back to a weekly release. Um, I, I I wish I, I get it in terms of a business decision, but I, I wish it didn't come at the cost of the story. And I don't know if that's the case yet. So this loser, I'm kind of just like, you know, keep it in the back of my mind. Like it, it's not really a loser for this week, uh, but it's on my mind. And after next week, if I feel the same way, then I'm just going to hammer that point home even more. Love to hear it. All right. Those are winners and losers. Let's dive into top plays. Then, and then, let's dive right through them. Um, I'm going to go first. White lightsabers are the coolest thing Star Wars has ever done. You guys did that, that, uh, you know, cool draft or whatever on Rebels not too long ago where you pick different things. White lightsabers, just plain and simple. Dope as shit every single time. And that scene where she cuts a freaking ship down in space doing a cartwheel with a lightsaber. I mean, like you said, the most Clone Wars shit ever, and it hit so hard. Loved every second of it. Ahsoka Tano, S-tier Jedi. That's my first top play. White lightsabers. My first top play is an all-time top play because somehow we have not truly brought it up yet is Hera in that senator meeting. Oh, dude. Like, (laughs) this was almost... I would say my big winner of the week, and it cannot be under under undersold. I guess how great I now feel Mary Elizabeth Winstead is as Hera. Like last week, talked a lot about Sabine. This was awesome. Her talking in the center meeting. Her talking about being a war hero. Were you in the war? No. Then shut up. You have no idea what you're talking about. And fighting that same fight of trying to get another government. Right. We're going down the same road. Feels like. And right, she, God, that line was so fucking good. It when was it's amazing. Like, oh, so you just waited to figure out who won, right? You just basically just, just sat behind and waited to see who came up on, came out on top. That was phenomenal. Like that was the best to me. This was the best scene of the entire episode. Um, obviously, um, Mon Mothma being there, amazing, love that, and just the fear in Hera's eyes when Thrawn is mentioned and she brings up Thrawn and they're kind of poo-pooing it, right? They're kind of like not really buying into what threat this really could be and trying to manipulate her feelings to be like, you're just looking for Bridger. You're just looking for Ezra, right? Like this is, that's your sole motivation. You're not actually worried about Thrawn being alive. He died, right? And so did Ezra. That's their narrative. And uh, man, I cannot wait for when they are alive because we know Thrawn's here. We know Thrawn's alive. We know he's alive and well, and we will be seeing him uh, later this season. That moment when Hera breaks, when she says, you don't know that, I felt that to my bones. Like, yeah. I was like, holy shit, because you feel her pain. You like, And that's where the non-Rebels fans, they're not going to fully gonna get out. it. They, they are going to lose out, but at least they understand who the character is and where the character's at. And, and and that's why I think Dave Filoni is doing really well with the writing and Steph Green with the directing. But yeah, and just off that, you understand the multiple points of view within the galaxy at this point. People don't want another war, and and they don't like. And I know Hera's trying to prevent one. I I don't. They don't know that, but like, 
they want a time of peace and they want to focus on just building back up. They don't want to have to fight again. And so, so I understand both sides. Obviously, we know Harris, right? Because we know where this story is going for the most part. But um, yeah, that scene was incredible. Um, bouncing off that, guys. Jason really quick, Jack. Oh, I'm, go ahead. I'm so sorry. It, I'm ahead. so it's sorry. Okay. I just got on Hera real quick. Um, the, her line last week. I don't know if you have clearance for that. Want to bet? Mm-hmm. Or um, were you in the war? Oh, just sat back and waited to see who won. She's doing the best Han Solo impression we've ever seen. She's crushing it's, it. You're yeah. right. Cocky, yeah. but cocky, but confident. Like, yeah. like you know, a, a charismatic leader. Like that is. She's crushing it. It's she's, more like, yeah. I would say I'd compare it more to like Empire Strikes Back or a New Hope Han Solo, or not a New Hope. I mean, Return of the Jedi Han Solo. Like, not right. a New Hope Han Solo. Once, once Han had General. actual ranking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And she's not my MVP because she's not getting the play time to beat that. She's very much a side character right now. Offensive player of the year, though. Harrison Dula. Yeah. It's awesome to think that Hera and Han Solo were both generals. Stop it, dude. <laughs> it's just so cool. Um, I already <laughs> said it. Jason Sandula. He's here, guys. We got him finally. He's on the yeah. ship somewhere. Oh, there he is. God, Kanan's son. Like, I, I'm I about to start crying. He wants to be a Jedi, guys. Fuck you, Dave Filoni. God, making me cry late at night, in the morning, whenever. God, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, the green hair sucks, but it was good to see him. Yeah. Um, uh, am I up now? Space whales. Come on. Yeah, burgle. Come on. That's what I was we don't need to dive too much into it right now because we're already running a little long. We could go all day on space whales. But <laughs> them being a tactical use in this, obviously coming to help their friends. You know, they know they know Sabine and Ahsoka and they know who's right in this situation. So they came to help them going through the tentacles and using it as uh, the asteroid field <laughs> or the crash star destroyer or you know what I mean? Yeah. Like using the tentacles and as that utility that we've seen in Star Wars so many times. Kick ass. Awesome. Yep, and mine follows right along with that, and that is the galaxy jumping ship that we see, whatever that circular, you know, vehicle vessel is, um, that is going to be the machine that gets them to Thrawn and potentially Ezra, it seems like, right? Like that's what they're building, that's what they're trying to do. Um, a vehicle that can jump from galaxy to galaxy. I thought that was a very, very cool thing to introduce and that connection to the Purgle, right? Because there's that moment where they uh what the hell's the droid's name, Jack? Um oh, Yang. Hu Yang, is that it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hu Yang, Hu Yang. Uh, when he like mentions how he's like describing the ship and basically how it works, it's like the scan was complete. Finally, when he when he reboots, mm. and, yeah. <laughs> I like I like that droid by the way. Hu Yang, he's I like him. Um, but anyway, and they mention the Purgle, and you just kind of see Sabine and Ahsoka look at each other. <laughs> you know, I don't even remember if they say anything. You're almost like ah, okay, now it makes sense. But I just like that. We're getting the almost the partially made Death Star of it all, where it's like not a Death Star, it's not its goal, but it is this vehicle, this machine that is being made by evil people to go do evil things. Um, and I'm excited about just how that's going to work and how that might even look if we get a scene in it, like when it's jumping from galaxy to galaxy. Does it look like hyperspace or does it look differently somehow? I think that could be really cool. Does it need Purgle to like? power it up maybe a little bit yeah god i can't wait for the purgle to light up at some point um <laughs> like, that dinner rod, like the dogs like the, pur- the purgle are like uh like pulling it <laughs> uh, by the way the the line uh sabine says the last time i saw them was when ezra disappeared i think yes. she says gosh golly uh who Again, though, is- that's where oh, that's yeah. where non-rebels fans are probably going to be like what the hell right. you know what i mean that a little too much one way maybe I think I think if you haven't seen Rebels and if I had hadn't seen it before this, it would be like I would feel like they're probably over relying on the off screen characters that have a history, right? Where there's so many references to characters that are off screen that if you know them, it makes perfect sense and it's emotional and it's awesome, right? Jack saw the green haired kid and started crying. Right. But not everyone's getting that. Not everyone's having that experience. Someone saw the dumb kid and was like, cool dude get the hell out of the scene yeah (laughs) let's let's move on (laughs) i'm very curious with lines like sabine talking about ezra and the purgle i wonder how much it's a situation of like what you said matt what the hell's going on versus or maybe a little bit of both 
that when Clone Wars got mentioned in A New Hope in 1977. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, wait, what's that? Oh, that Ezra and Purgle, there's a connection. So I don't know. I'm actually talking to Ethan Simi tonight, who has not watched Rebels. Uh, so we'll get some oh. information from him. Um, Hu Yang is one of my top play- plays. He's a sassy bitch. I love him. I loved every second of them. And I'm just going to list another one off here just to get out of the way. Yeah. Ray Stevenson is Balin. One shot of him. One line of dialogue, and he stole the show from me. He Pronounced. looks so cool. He's going to crush next week, and the music crushes too. What's our heat check on uh, Shin? Great. Very Anakin in this in this episode. And I really like that. I, you know, uh, she's obviously we don't know her full dark sideness, but dark side people in a cockpit, always cool. Yeah, I feel like um, she was given less, but she almost felt more utilized in a way. Like in, a little bit of in personality popped out too. Like, yeah. like Morgan, you almost got him. Like and dope I, as fuck. Line. Yeah, I like that. Like, the, and then like she's hunting. Where are they? You know, when they did use the tentacles, like you mentioned earlier, to evade. Sick. Very cool, well, ladies and gentlemen. Those are our top plays for Ahsoka episode three. Then and then, then next week, Ahsoka episode four um jack we're not sure if you'll be able to join us yet but we will have you back on at least for the finale we know that for sure we will we will make sure that works you know what i mean one way or another we're gonna find you we're gonna get you get you get you get you jack uh next week one question for you uh thrawn or no no yeah see i think they're doing the thanos thing a little bit here guys I think, I think we're all gonna just get excited for a movie by the end of this thing. I'm very yeah. excited. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, I'm oh, I'm god. with you on that. I think I think the way this is being paced out so far, it feels like the end of the journey is going to be like, oh my god. <laughs> like what <laughs> happens true. next? Like this is going to be crazy. I could see this, I could see the show back. ending in a dark way, <laughs> like ending yeah. in a in a bad way. Harry Potter style. He's back. <laughs> um yeah. yeah. All right, guys, that's Ahsoka episode four. We will be back next week for Ahsoka episode four and also everything you need to know about the universes you love. For Matt, that's David, that's Jack. Check out Reckless Rebels. Until then, see you next time.